This is an ABC podcast. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Sanctum and we are thrilled to be here and have your company for the next hour. I'm not going to lie to you. I am intoxicated by the International Women's Day celebrations that I was attending yesterday and at the thought of filling the G for the Women's T20 World Cup final and also seeing the score of the Matildas 5-zip in the qualifier against Thailand yesterday, last night. But AFLW is my one true love, so I am so pleased to be here. Given that AFLW will be playing across the weekend, I am your host, Emma Race, and as always, I welcome to the Stu Stu studio my football-loving lady Friends, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Good morning, Nicole Hayes here. Hello, Julia Kiera. Oh, hello, Julia Kiera. It's Kate Sear. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Hello, Doctor. Oh, hello, Professor. (laughs) Captain. You are actually a doctor, so I can say hello, doctor. Nice to have you in the house. Um, On today's show, we've got lots of things to get fired up and excited about. We're going to be speaking to Meg McDonald from Geelong, who achieved a very sweaty win in Mackay last night in the wake of news about more ACLs in the AFLW. Lucy, our roving reporter, caught up with former D, Brooke Patterson, who's leading research on ACL prevention. And we're going to hear from the Saints skipper. Ree Watt from St Kilda Football Club, who uh, ahead of their meeting with the Blues tonight, it was pretty, there's some pretty full on stuff happening for the Saints last week. We're going to talk about 50 metre penalties. Julia Kiara, I'm looking at you. I cannot wait to get your read <laughs> on whether 50 metre penalties are a punishment that fits the crime in AFLW. Your thoughts? Early thoughts? Uh, no, they're not. Great. But we'll elaborate later. It is impossible to talk about women's sport without the push to fill the G and break records on Sunday at the T20 final when Australia will meet India. It falls on International Women's Day. And yesterday we all attended, or I think we all attended, some International Women's Day events. I got to hang out with friend of the pod, <laughs> friend of the Outer Sanctum, Billie Jean King. No oh, less. that old person. She was amazing and she was so astute. She had so many wonderful um, insights to impart and there was people who were just gripped sitting on the edge of their seats. Who did you hear speak yesterday, Kate Sia? Well, the three of us, Julia and Nicole and I, had uh, a breakfast that we went to yesterday morning where, among other people, we heard from Peggy O'Neill, president of the Richmond Football Club, and she was speaking at an event for my work, actually, about uh, authentic leadership. And it was so wonderful to hear uh, from Peggy, but also to hear her reflect a bit on her journey um, because she talked about her her whole life, how she grew up as a coal miner's daughter, in a small town where people didn't think that girls should even be educated. They didn't, she said that they didn't really even understand why there would be a need for girls to be educated at all. First person in her family to go to university. And then she's had this amazing journey, partner of a law firm, president, first female president of an AFL club. Uh, It was terrific. It was a great morning. And a winner of two AFLM premiership. (laughs) Cups, no less. Exactly. Imagine growing up her coal miner's daughter on the other side of the world and then that being your journey. She was in the audience listening to Billie Jean King. There were so many impressive women in the room yesterday, not just up on stage, including, oh, actually, Rana Hussein, oh. member of the pod, was <laughs> on the stage as well and she absolutely nailed it yesterday. Um, but there was lots of other amazing women that we all got to hang out with yesterday and we asked them, women and men, we asked them, who they wanted to honour on International Women's Day. I'm Peggy O'Neill. I'm president of the Richmond Football Club. And on this International Women's Day almost, I probably couldn't look much further than Australia's sweetheart, Ash Barty, right now. Beside the fact she's a loyal and wonderful Tiger supporter, I think the... Um, authentic leadership she has shown has inspired all of us to be better people and to think of the good side of our nature as much as possible. So I would say Ash 
you really inspire me and keep it up. Hi, Beck Goddard here, International Women's Day, and I'd like to dedicate my uh, International Women's Day to, to a really close friend of mine, Michelle Cowan. You know, I've just watched Billie Jean King speak, and it made me think about my relationship with Michelle and uh, some of the, the journey that we've been on in coaching together. And she's an amazing coach, an amazing person, and what she's doing for women in football is great, and hope she keeps it up and keeps influencing the generation below us. Hi, I'm Bridie O'Donnell, and I don't know a lot about AFLW, but I know what I like. And one of the things I really like is that last year I met Lily Miffin. And Lily struck me as a person who could be a representative of one of the first generation of girls that has never not played. That she played as a Little E, she played in Oskik, then she played footy at school, and now here she is playing professionally. I think she's 19 or something. Um, it's in her blood. It's the way that she talks about it. And that's what we've seen for maybe three or four generations of boys. And here now, Lily and all her colleagues, this is normal for them. So shout out to her. Sam Lane here, Sanctimus. My shout out is to Sam Mostem because without her pushing what she pushed at the highest table of power in the AFL, the AFL women's competition would not be where it is today. Thank you, Sam. Hi guys, Mel Jones here on International Women's Day. I'm not going to pick one female. I'm going to pick... All the women at all the cricket clubs around Australia who volunteer their time, who do the driving, who do all the hard yards to get all of us players on the ground and who have been really the backbone of what is going to be a world record on Sunday. But hopefully Australia take it out, but I really don't care. I just want everyone to be there to enjoy a moment that is going to be an Australian sporting spectacular. My name is Brendan Gale. I'm the Chief Executive of Richmond Football Club and a female athlete that inspired me at the time and probably continues to inspire me, notwithstanding she doesn't compete, was Cathy Freeman. And uh, I remember just, well I was still playing football at the time, it was 2000, but uh, just her ability to deal with all the pressure and expectation the lead up to the Olympics to make the final and uh, to sort of stand the starting block with the weight of a nation on her shoulders and to win that race under incredible pressure and, and do it with such grace and, and just the this was one of the most inspiring sporting events of all time for me. I'm Ray Watt and on International Women's Day it would be remiss of me not to give a shout out to Peter Searle who is someone that inspires me tremendously. I loved hearing that from all those amazing people, the people who inspire them. Do any of you ladies want to give a shout out to anyone that inspires you? I mean, you inspire me. You are the wind beneath my wings. And one thing that is an ongoing theme in women's sport is that when you have a cohort of women, and there was actually information, there was a paper released by um, the Harvard Review overnight talking about how women who have good female friends often earn more money and are more successful in their careers. I don't know how you measure success there, but because um, they have a cohort of women who hold them up and push them forward. So you guys actually do play a very important part in my life, not just entertaining me and talking about footy. Oh, there you go. That's lovely. Well, look, I was, uh, uh, we've done this before on International Women's Day, tried to name or, or, or pick a, women, a woman who inspires us. It's always really hard because there's just so many you could pick. But hearing those reflections about tennis, knowing that you hung out with friend of the pod, Billie Jean King, <laughs> uh, yesterday, made me think a lot about Emily Maresmo, actually, who is someone I admire greatly. Um, she, you know, not just for her career arc, she she choked on a couple of occasions and, and really struggled with nerves eventually went on to win Wimbledon and the Australian Open. Um, she copped a lot from other players, actually, because of her her sexuality. And um, and then she went on to coach uh, Andy Murray and, and to be a great coach and a great sort of feminist icon. So I admire her very much. Great feminist icon, just like Andy Murray. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, did you have someone that inspires you? We've stolen Amelie Marismo from me. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Really? Snap. Look, I do remember that growing up when uh, Martina Hingis said some nasty things about yep. Amelia Moresmo. And as a young queer person growing up, I remember observing that and seeing how Amelie stuck up for herself at that yep. time. And that really rang true for me. So, yeah, but look, I, I, I'm fortunate to participate um, at a community level in, in women's footy and all the players and coaches that I'm alongside always inspire me.
Nicole? I just, I, it's kind of a shout out to us, except it's not, because I still pinch <laughs> myself that Shelley Ware is part of our team. But I just know, you know, having watched her career over the last few years and developed a friendship with her, the kind of, um, the grace she carries with which she carries herself and her ability to, to kind of persist in the face of quite a lot of um, different kinds of discrimination that as a white woman I don't have to encounter uh, blows me away and inspires me every single day. Yeah, good shout out there. We just got a nice um, message. I'm excited about going to the G tomorrow. I won't be watching my Lions in the Lions Freo match and 50 metre penalty is ridiculous in both M and W. Especially in W where women at the moment are not able to kick as far as a 50. That's from Robin of Ramsden Street. She's a pretty inspiring woman too. You're always on the messenger there, Robin, and we see you and we thank you for that. Well, last night it was a sweaty battle in Mackay. The Suns played footy beyond their experience, but the Cats had their tails up and made it count. They'll be stashing the four points in the overhead locker as they travel home today. It was Cats by 20 points. This is how it rolled out. It's picked up by Rocky. Cranston gives it off. Daring's kick smothered, comes back to Cranston. This time clean on the kick. And Phoebe McWilliams marks directly in front. And she should go back and slot this through for the Cats first for the night. Phoebe McWilliams from directly in front. And she opens proceedings at Mackay. Edging closer to goal here, the Suns. Bella tries to thump it. Quick hurry kick out of the pack and making something out of nothing there for the Suns. I think it might have been Heslop just squeezed out that kick, Yorston. Celebrated straight away. Howard just plucks it off the deck and sends it into the pocket. And what about that mark for a mark? Stanton, well, she's had two goes in the first quarter. She makes sure of it in the third attempt. No risk this time. And their star, Jamie Stanton, puts it second of the night on the board. It's obviously a very important part of our week, just like in the men's competition, that especially as it's grown, um, you can't just turn up and, and play your brand. You've got quality players. Oh. Waiting at the back, Phoebe McWilliams. She says, thank you very much. As easy as you like. McWilliams has got her second goal and they draw closer the Cats. Two on two contest here as they're edging closer to goal the Cats and it'll be a free kick for Geelong. Almost in front and sends it over the goal umpire's head. And the Cats hit back and they're back in front in this fascinating contest. Sally Riley there and a hurry kick. Bouncing through. Now, does that score? That is a goal to Rocky right on the siren. You would not believe it. Rocky Cranston with a blow. Charging through was Millie Brown. She might run in and finish it here. She pulls it at the last minute. And what about the composure for the 19-year-old father-daughter and Millie Brown? And on the end of it is Teague. So to make life really tough for the Gold Coast Suns, on her approach, she puts it through and they're skipping away here, the Cats. Rocky kicked one right on the siren. She doesn't do it this time, but the Cats make it back-to-back wins and they will jump into fourth spot in Conference A and finals, a realistic prospect for this team with three games to play. Cats getting some important points um, when it counts. The Suns are not easy beats by any stretch mm. of the imagination. They've really shocked me this season. They have a lot of credibility. Sam Virgo is extraordinary. But we're seeing some superstars emerging from the Saints and some stories, which last night on the um, on the Suns, did I say the, the Suns? Yeah. Sorry, the Suns. <laughs> the, we're other seeing, the other team. We're seeing um, everyone really putting in, especially last night, Kelly Underwood. She was only part of a two-person <laughs> yeah. commentary team. It was, just, it was like she was doing a duet last night. But we love uh, Kelly Underwood here. Yes. At, She's a woman who inspires us. We can safely say that. She right? really yeah. is. There was a couple of moments that she gave us last night. There was a character who was playing a part <laughs> last night. I just want to introduce, let's just listen to this. Time ticking down in humid, sticky Mackay. I feel like Sticky Mackay <laughs> is a character from The Simpsons, maybe. And every time she said Sticky Mackay, I was like, oh, I've got a picture in my mind of a barfly <laughs> and his nickname is Sticky Mackay. So well played, Sticky Mackay. You, you had a lot of possessions last night, Julia. You noticed something from our very own Kelly Underwood. 
Well, look, like attorneys general and sons-in-law, last night we got Julia Crockett's Grill (laughs) (laughs) instead of Julia Crockett. Grills, mm. and then sometimes there were Crockett's grills. Yeah, so she really one. diversified. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say uh, to I often think about what I would call a band if I started a band, mm. which I have no talent for, by the way. <laughs> uh, I am going to call my band Sticky Mackay. Sticky oh. It's just great. It sounds like a character out of a Whitlam song. <laughs> something about Sticky Mackay. I feel like there's something there. There's another song that's been on my mind ever since the All Australian. Superstar defender for Geelong um, repaired her finger and came back to the <laughs> AFLW. What can you hear? Can you hear this song? There's no better way to introduce to the outer sanctum Megan McDonald from Geelong. Welcome, Ma- Meg. How are you? Hi Emma. Hi everyone. Are you roll? Well. I feel like I can hear you rolling your eyes as we play I, Return I, of the Mac. No, it's also I've Megan. Heard it, I've heard it a few times in the past three weeks, though. So <laughs> your very dear friend Julia Kira, of course, put us up to that, and she's correcting me that it's Megan <laughs> McDonald, which it is. Oh, thank you, Julia. It is. It is. Pretty H in there. Where do we find you on this morning, Megan? Have you checked out? Have you packed your four points in your um tra- on your in your carry on luggage? On oh, well, yes, I'm I'm not quite checked out. I'm half packed. It takes me a little while for anyone who knows me. So um I'm just you know sitting enjoying. Uh, really not so sticky, Mackay. I didn't find it sticky at all last night. It was very very slippery. Um and uh, yeah, I was strapped some food and, and get get to the airport in about forty five minutes. So. Um, a few sore bodies, but, but happy for the happy for the win. Yeah. So the win. How did you make it happen? That what were you expecting from the Suns? Oh, I'm not necessarily sure how we made it happen at halftime. I was struggling a little bit. Um, of course, um, as you said in the in the intro, um, the Suns have been. I mean, they've been one of the hardest teams at it for the for the start of the season. We we knew that they were um, in a, a pretty good and contested ball. I think they were number one. Um, the captain team in the competition. So they definitely still got us on the tackle count last night, but we knew that we had to sort of take it to them um, because of the conditions and, and the style of, of, of play that they have. So um, pretty happy that we were able to match them in contested footy and then and then still sort of try and play um, some of our, our brands to get the score on the board. Meg, it's Kate here. Huge congrats on the win. Fantastic stuff. But um, I really wanted to ask you about what happened in the second half because you, you kicked away after half time. What do you yeah. think changed or what was the message at halftime? Well, he just said, you know, we've got this. And I think a few of us looked around and thought, I can't even breathe, so I'm not sure that we do. But, um, <laughs> we, uh, we, you know, we knew that the other team had to be feeling like that as well. And then, it, you know, it came down to work great. And I really think, you know, we probably got we got a little bit cleaner as the match went on, or some of us at least. You know, obviously, um, Nina stood out in, in that respect. And um, so we knew that we if we could outwork them and we had... Um, you know, I'm always happy to see those mid transition into defence um, to help us out. So that was it was so pleasant to see that in the second half. And then, you know, I think we made smart decisions with the footy in the, in the fourth quarter and didn't take too many risks. We knew we were two goals up and um, even got one on the board. You know, we were so we were so stoked for Millie Brown when she sort of made that intercept and pulled that kick um, and fatigued to finish it off. It was awesome. So. Really, really promising footy in the second half. Um, a little bit worried in the second quarter, but I uh, got it done. Megan, it's Julia. Um, <laughs> look, in the past, I've been known to tell you to don't overthink it. But um, last night we uh, saw, um, you know, a couple of times defenders right on the goal line, including yourself, bring the ball back in or rush it over the line. And we know that, you know, a few weeks ago, a game for you was decided by um, that umpire's call where a player was penalised for, for rushing it through. So so what are you thinking when the when the ball's on the line then? And what's going through your head? Yeah, I actually, the incident with Maddie McMahon didn't, um, didn't cross my mind. I was overthinking the fact that um, I think a smaller player had outbodied me with a ground ball two weeks in a row. So if I didn't win that, I'd be in trouble with the coaches. Um, so I was sort of trying to find a thing with Jamie Stanton's body and then uh, just decided, you know what, we're within, we're inside the goal square and uh, the ball's in contest and that's all the thinking I did. I thought, you know what, I can do I can do a dramatic dive and I'll probably slip right through. So 
I'm happy to concede the points on that, on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it came out, in, in the end, it came out just fine for you guys. Uh, it was, The conditions did play a big role last night, and you would have expected the Suns to perhaps adapt better in terms of being able to keep it going for that second half, and you talked about being out of breath. Um, what did you guys have to do to accommodate that, and how did you find that extra store? Like, were there ice jackets in the bench or, I don't know, cold flannels or something? What were you doing to cool down and to keep that energy level up in that second half? Yeah, well, our staff were so we're, we're super prepared and, um, you know, just lots lots of ice towels and dry towels sort of rotating between the two, trying to um, keep the hands dry and um, your neck, neck cold. I mean, I keep the pickle juice business in <laughs> up and running, so <laughs> lots of pickle juice. And um, you just, you know, ultimately, obviously, you trust the, the work that you've done over the summer. And I think, you know, on nights like last night, it's cliche to say so, but you know, no one or two or three players have the energy to do it themselves. So um, the even spread was was really pleasing. And then, um, as I mentioned earlier, if you're as clean as me and you have you know aerobic capacity like she does, and even Amy McDonald as well, um, those sort of players transitioning and and you know getting it outside of the contest is, um, was really helpful. We're speaking to Megan McDonald from the Geelong Football Club. Meg, during the game yesterday, uh, last night, there was a little package talking about you oh, and your yes. return <laughs> to football. I enjoyed it immensely. What yeah. uh, The themes that come through in that are, of course, that you uh, were delisted after a season playing for the Bulldogs and then fought your way back, went back to the VFL, reassessed your game, rebuilt your body and came back as an All-Australian defender, which is incredibly impressive, but it also alluded to the work that you're doing in the prevention of violence against women and their children and family violence and I think it's a salient time on the eve of International Women's Day to talk about where we're at with AFLW. We've seen that the Herald Sun has turned off comments around the AFLW posts and uh, thing and articles that they post because of the hate speech and the vitriol that's often really gendered. Where do you see AFLW um, continuing this conversation and trajectory of of you know supporting powerful women and and using sport to break down gender stereotypes. Emma, that is a huge, that's a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> I fully believe you're capable of answering it, Meg. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean it's been a, you know it's been a particularly hard time to to sort of work in the sector. But as I think I mentioned on the package, which they they showed me during the week, um, you know we at our watch and I think more broadly know that. You know, sport's such an important setting for change because it's, you know, a place of community and um, where we sort of build and, and reinforce cultures. So if women are celebrated and, um, uh, you know, we you can't be what you can't see has been, um, you know, a common phrase for a few years now, but it continues to be true and we must, you know, we've got to celebrate women in commentary like yourselves and on the field and um, if if we can be shown to be to be valued and to be equal on, on the sporting field, then it'll go, I think, a long way to um, being being true more broadly in Australia, in Australia. So, lots and lots and lots of work to do. But um, you know, the importance of AFLW isn't isn't lost on myself, anyone in the sector, and anyone I think in AFLW. So, um, you know, I'll be going to the current respects match tonight, and I think. Um, it's really important to, to highlight this issue and, and to understand the link between um, between sport and, and violence against women. Meg, Kate again. Um, speaking about celebrating women and, and powerful women and the importance of seeing uh, women compete in sport, you might have heard a, a package that a little package that we played at the top of the show where we asked a number of people yesterday in the lead up to International Women's Day, which w- woman in sport inspires them? And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because oh I haven't gosh. given you a forewarning of this. I'm sure there are many women in sport who are an inspiration to you, but is there anyone that you wanted to give recognition to today or someone in particular that um, that is oh, on your sure. mind? I'll go with your present, with your present company. Mm. You know, you all know how important Julia is to me. And, and I, when I thought you were going to ask about the package last night, I was going to say, you know, I didn't give Julia a shout out because she taught me everything I know in the back line. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, there you go. She's, I mean, obviously she's a, a constant source of um, inspiration to me on and, on and off the field. So there you go. I'll go with Julia and um, hopefully embarrass her live on air. Toughen up, Meg. <laughs> I was going to say, when you said present company, I started blushing. So 
feeling that was that was awkward. It's fine. I'm smarting, but I'm completely fine. Nicole, do you have a question for Megan McDonald while we have her and her perfect pinky finger on the line? Um, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> uh, how has this season track been tracking? It's you know your second year in. Um, is it is it a really different feel around the club at the moment? Uh, yeah, I think I think we were sort of aware leading into the season that you know we wanted we wanted to lift the standard and and it was going to become more about um, playing a particularly recognisable brand of football. There was. Um, more attacking in nature, so that was the focus going in, and, and you know it almost went without saying that we were we were sort of stoked to be there in, in the first season, and, and there's a lot that goes with that, um, even in terms of you know the administration and, and everything that happens around our games in season one, and now it's time to knuckle down and, and try and uh, you know use the use the talented team that we've got and and really make strides in the uh, win loss column. So I mean. Along with that, we had a challenging first three weeks. Um, we, we could see that we were starting to play the brand of footy that we wanted to, and we were particularly, you know, we were effective inside 50 when we could get there, but we weren't getting there often enough. So I think that's been the focus for, um, you know, for the first five weeks is, is to work out how we can play the ball, play the game more in our forward half. And um, We've had some had two weeks in a row of some success, so you know there's no reason that we can't you know expect the same the same build week on week. You know every week, um, you know, Joel Selwood was was came came down and spoke to us recently, and he said you know you're always building towards the next premiership wherever that may be. So we've got a young list, but you know we're well aware that the, the idea is to get better with every training session and every game. And so far this season, I think we've done that. You have done that and we're all watching. We're all very impressed with what you're able to build on week on week in such a short season. So congratulations uh, to you and your cats and Sticky Mackay who all really (laughs) brought it last night. And we look forward to seeing you take on North next week. Meg McDonald, thank you so much for joining us on The Outer Sanctum. Thank you all very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much, Meg McDonald. There, there's been a lot of talk around this season, in particular about ACL injuries. In a moment, we'll hear from Brooke Patterson, former AFLW player, now crunching the numbers on AS- ACL injuries. We're going to hear her thoughts next on the Outer Sanctum. I'm Darcy Vessio, and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Welcome back to the Outer Sanctum. I think we've hit, um, how many ACLs are we up to in the AFLW season, Julia? 12, I believe. Mm. Yeah, so look, 12 AFLW players so far have succumbed to ACL injuries in the pre-season or during the game, revealing to the wider AFL community that female players have knees. So, um, <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, one person that's been looking into this for quite a few years now is um, PhD candidate, physiotherapist, former Melbourne Demons AFLW player, now on their coaching staff and current VFLW Darabin player, Brooke Patterson. Um, And our roving reporter, Lucy Race, met up with Brooke this week to discuss the issue. We've seen 12 AFLW players into their ACLs already this year, which is an increase on last year's number. Understandably, people are concerned and there's a number of theories regarding why it's happening. But given your expertise in this area as a physio, and as a researcher and as someone with experience within the AFLW system, how concerned are you? Yeah, look, it's obviously devastating for those girls and, and it's happened to a lot of like really good players and it's devastating for those teams. Um, overall concern, I'm not hugely surprised because we also have had four new teams come into the competition, so it's, it is almost like starting again in some sense. I think we should be concerned and continuing to to look into why these injuries happen. So that's with my sports medicine and physio hat on. But then at the same time, uh, looking from a player perspective and a coach perspective, we know that the players accept that risk when they they take the field. And the the main message is that, yeah, we're looking into it and continuing to learn. So what does the data say about the risk of ACL injuries, specifically in women? So women are more at risk um, in across all sport. At the moment, the data in the AFLW is saying that the women are around nine times more risk than the men um, and that around one ACL injury per club per season 
will occur. And at the moment, we might be heading up around 1.3 with the rates this season. Um, mm. And if we look at basketball, netball, soccer, the females are also more at risk as well. So there's been a spate of stories in the media recently linking menstrual cycles to the risk of ACL injury. What can you tell us about that link? Yeah, so there is... A- been a little bit of research around menstrual cycle and the the theory is that when um, the hormones peak at certain times in the um, the cycle that that creates changes in the collagen in the ligaments um, which creates um, a little bit more looseness or laxity in the ligaments and then that leads them to the theory that they might be more at risk at that time point but unfortunately what a lot of the research is that's been done is so the the girls will have an ACL injury and then they will ask the girls okay when did you have last have your period and we know that that kind of retrospective recall is that isn't actually really accurate so the mm-hmm. most accurate way is to actually do like a saliva test to see what their hormones um, are actually doing at that time point we also know that people's hormones are very variable so I don't think we can at this stage confidently say that if you're at this time point you're at an in- increased risk the evidence just isn't there whenever we see a knee injury we see a whole lot of theories spring up especially on social media and lots of people have lots of different I guess ideas on what they think is causing it if I run through a few of those things can you give (laughs) me your thoughts on them yeah for sure okay so one of the things that we often see is people saying harder grounds um and the footwear that women are using yeah have an impact yeah so that gets thrown a lot because with the men's we also see a spike in ACL injuries at the start of the season so um John Orchard is a researcher done a lot of that in the AFL men's um, in terms of the different types of grass and the harder surfaces. So that definitely, I think, is, is a factor at play here for the women on these grounds in summer. But we also see that the men do sustain injuries throughout the whole season and they see like a spike in finals as well. Mm. So I don't think it's just like the timing of the year. It's also, I think, a spike in intensity as well that we see. And then there's the shoes stuff as well related to the ground. So there's maybe a theory that the the girls should be looking at boots that aren't as grippy, um, but again, there isn't research there. They've only just bought out a couple of female-specific boots, so those really need to be tested um, in terms of how much traction they have on the grounds mm. that we play on compared to different styles of boots and whether the girls actually really need those full-studded boots. What about the shorter pre-season Yes, I think it's that spike in intensity and then there's that theory that's been thrown around a lot about fatigue. So if the girls are kind of under acute fatigue because they've suddenly increased their load or they're under chronic fatigue because they're kind of playing this all year round type season and um, what the evidence says at the moment is that there isn't really a link with either kind of acute fatigue. So they've looked at like do the injuries occur in the first part of the game um, or like chronic fatigue, do they occur at the end of the season when Mm. players are fatigued? There isn't really anything there, but it's also really hard to measure these things. And, Mm. yeah, so I think there's a bit of research to be done there to try and understand just the fatigue but also the tying in some of the like player health and well-being stuff and seeing whether there is any patterns Mm. with injuries in terms of that. Can you put the risks in context for us? What would you say to those who argue that women and girls shouldn't play Australian rules football? Yeah, and this comes up a lot and we talk about injuries and we focus on the consequences and definitely as a researcher we focus on those things to try and put our case forward to get funding to look into these things. So we have to focus on those. But I think what we all forget is the benefits for not just the players but everyone involved in the game and society that far outweigh the the risks of injury or the consequences Mm -hmm. of injury. So we've actually been chatting as a research group and actually trying to um, investigate some of the benefits at a community level and, um, yeah, talking to parents and players. And so does the the benefit actually outweigh the risk? We don't know, but I'm pretty biased in that that opinion, yeah. I'd keep going back for more. So, Brooke, sadly we saw Ash Brazzle rupture her ACL last week and I guess, you know, with people like Ash and with people like Erin Phillips who are elite athletes, are super strong if someone like Erin can do her ACL, what does that mean for other athletes? Yeah, look, that's been the response of a lot of people. And, um, yeah, actually strength, uh, muscle strength isn't actually a strong risk factor. It's actually more about the movement patterning. So, like, where you put your feet, um, where you put your body and position your body. So um, we call it, yeah, might call it biomechanics or movement patterns in running, jumping, landing. So um, actually there is a little bit of evidence to say that the better players do get injured have an ACL injury the better skilled players um, better ranked players and I've had one so (laughs) 
Um, you know, I say like if you're a good player and you're fit, then you're going to get to contest. You're going to put yourself in those situations more often than not. So I think that's why those better players do tend to unfortunately suffer these injuries. So if people do want more information, especially as community football is about to start up and people might want to be running programs for their own um, players, where can they go? Yeah, so um, last year for about six months I worked with closely with the AFL developing a program specific for female um, football players called Prep to Play. So we have an elite professional version and we have a community version and the community version is freely available so if you go to coach.afl forward slash female football or if you just google prep to play it's the first thing that comes up and there's things there that are suitable for players parents coaches um, about why these things need to be done how do you do a proper warm-up how can we reduce concussions by looking at sports specific and football specific skills as well so there's videos manuals and um, posters there for your clubs to download Thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us today. No, thank you very much. That was Lucy Race, our roving reporter out there with Brooke Patterson, who is doing some very important work. It's great that she's at the forefront of this research because she knows the players and she, in fact, is one in the coaching staff at the Ds and they have the highest number of ACLs, I think, mm. just for some, it's probably not interest, but um, I reckon I could probably do my ACL just by sneezing. (laughs) That's how easy they can happen. Mm. And I thought it was really interesting this week that we saw, um, that we've seen professional full-time athletes doing their ACLs. It's not about the fact that this is a, you know, a short competition on hard grounds or not necessarily those things. It's a it's lots of factors of things uh, overnight. There was also some other interesting news that came out uh, that is specific to AFLM and AFLW, Kate. Yeah, so last night we had the uh, Quill Awards being presented for journalism, which were a very prestigious award. There are a number of different categories. I'm really thrilled to say that uh, the Gold Quill, which is a very prestigious award, for the first time in 25 years went to uh, a photographer, went to Michael Wilson of the AFL for his photograph, The Kick. That's the photograph, of course, of Taylor Harris, which is now uh, iconic and, and really a game changer. Um, I also just wanted to acknowledge Conrad Marshall, who is a friend mm. of the pod and, and a great writer who's written, uh, uh, writes a lot about sport and about the Richmond Football Club in particular. He won two awards last night. One was for the Best Sports Feature, which was a piece he wrote on concussion, certainly a subject we'll come back to during the year. And then the Harry Gordon Award for the Australian Sports Journalist of the Year. So uh, well done to Conrad and to Michael for both of those. And there was some good news for the ABC too, because especially for the Outer Sanctum, our very own Tess Armstrong is the producer of um, Raph Epstein's Drive and they won the quill for long-form radio journalism. So congrats to Raph and Tess and the team. It's an extraordinary accomplishment. It was on the story about the St Kevin's, um, the chanting from last year. So well done, Tess. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. And also that story wouldn't have happened with an, without an ABC listener. Absolutely. Started the, that. Yeah, so started the ball rolling. That's yeah. amazing. We got some SMSs coming through. The most inspiring female for toughness, dedication and good sport is Anna Mears. Mm. That is a fantastic nomination. Uh, hey, Libby Gore is someone who inspires many of us now and for all the years when she was at the coalface of sport pushing for us all. And that's from Kate. Thank you, Kate. Uh, we've also got another text in not for, from somebody anonymous who said, I attended an International Women's Day breakfast yesterday and heard the amazing Shani Layton speak. Her story on so many level, levels was so inspiring. Her drive, her vulnerability, her fight with depression, her resilience and her belief in herself. She spoke to a group of secondary school girls and their parents, and I'm sure her words inspired all. That is a really great nomination. I think that was from Kathy in Hampton. And also this one, 50-metre penalty. Yes, rules are rules. Some players can kick 50, and this will increase year after year. Julia Chiara, you are a coach at the Darabin Falcons. I'm interested to know, do you think 50-metre penalties uh, have their rightful place in the AFLW competition, or should it be a shorter penalty? Look, Paul Hood has come out this week and he he's the Geelong AFLW coach and he said that he feels that umpires um, should have the discrepancy of paying perhaps a 25-metre penalty or a 50-metre penalty, depending on what the infringement is. I would... I tend to agree with that line of thinking. Look, before men invented women's football and I was playing (laughs) in the olden days, black and white in 2014 in the VWFL, it was a 25-metre penalty. Um, And I've 
at the time, it, it worked perfectly fine. It, it was still a penalty. Um, you could still get dragged for it. The coach would still be really annoyed if you gave one away. Um, but now what we know in, in, in AFLW where scoring is such a premium, so many of the other rule adjustments have been about getting um, the ball moving. So a 50-metre penalty is such... Um, it, it, it can change the outcome of the game and sometimes it's really not in the spirit of the game. It means if it's paid within 70 metres of goal, that's a goal. Um, and I just don't think that it's worth it when, you know, we saw in one of the games a player tried to hand the ball back to the umpire and gave away a 50-metre penalty That just and a goal was scored. That just doesn't seem right. And we know that rules can be changed based on, based on the way the women's game uses space and how much space is kind of allocated because they brought in the, th- the throw-in yeah, 10, 10 metres right. and that's worked really yeah. well to get the ball back into the corridor quickly. So it, I think it's up for discussion. I think it has to be, Kate. Well, can I just sort of play the devil's advocate a bit with you though, Julia? Because I often think this this shows, this shows reveals my age, okay? <laughs> but um, for me, the most memorable in my, in my lifetime, the most memorable penalty in the history of footy is the 1987 preliminary final where mm. Jim Stein's and through the mark, mm. uh, and Gary Bacanara was awarded a, what was in those days a 15-metre penalty. This was in the VFL at the time. A 15-metre penalty had a shot after the siren to put Hawthorne into the, the grand final and kicked it. Um, so that's a 15-metre penalty which decided a game and decided a, a, a massive uh, game. So there must be circumstances in your experience where when those 25-metre penalties were awarded, it did still decide a game, right, given that given that we know that from the Bacanara incident. Yes, yeah, that's right. And and they probably should in some instances if the infringement is really there. But I guess you watch a game of AFLW and you see that there are so many paid some games, mm-hmm. that, that the umpire's influence on the momentum of the game is so strong. Um, and, it, and it doesn't seem that the destiny of the game should rely in the umpires paying these very harsh penalties for minor infringements. It mm-hmm. should be in the hands of the players playing the game. Yeah, it, it, it does feel a little bit like the, um, the penalty is too harsh when the sc- a goal means so much more in AFLW because they simply don't score as many. And so that that difference has a far greater impact. And because there are different transgressions and different levels, when it's a blatant time-wasting versus a technicality, I just think that the penalty should be lesser. We just got uh, all good points, by the way, ladies. <laughs> Thank you. And this is what we're here to do, have robust discussion. Uh, we just got a message. Lisa Catto, who introduced me to the world of women's footy back in 2011, has been an inspiration for me. Cheers from Gigs in Clifton Hill. That is a great nomination and we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Lisa Catto. So we, we celebrate her on International Women's Day as well. In just a moment, we're going to go through the game previews. There are still games to come delicious and we will also catch up with the captain of St Kilda Rewat. You're listening to The Outer Sanctum. I'm Lauren Brazali and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. I love watching Lauren Brazale play and when she's on, she can make such a huge difference and uh, send her all the very best for her game this evening. Uh, there are other games to happen before we see her run out for the Blues. North are playing Adelaide. This looks like it's going to be a cracking match, Katesia. Oh, I'm really excited about this. This is a tantalising matchup. It's two versus three in, in Conference A. Uh, Adelaide are two from four and North have won their last three games. And this is a game that I think Adelaide just must win. Um, North were a lot of people's favourites coming into this competition, including, I think, a a couple of hours to to win. And, of course, Adelaide are the reigning premiers, but they've had a lot of injuries. And Adelaide are averaging three goals less per game than last year with players like Stevie Lee Thompson not firing so far. They're clearly missing the runoff halfback of Chelsea Randall, who's a superstar of the competition. Sarah Perkins no longer in the forward line, but we'll hear about her in a moment, I think. (laughs) Uh, So I think North are are starting to build, but they, they have had three wins on the trot against teams not as well performing, uh, GWS, Gold Coast and Richmond, and they have the versatility of players like Emma King. So um, I, I think North will step up, uh, I, I say, reluctantly as a crow uh, to win that one uh, against what is a traditionally really dominant side. Thank you very much for that. Kate, is that being played at where, is that North that's home game? North, that's in North Hobart. Yes. Yeah, at 3.10 today, Tassie time. And then the Giants are going to meet the Tigers, which is going to be an interesting matchup. Tigers still looking for their first win, Their Nicole. first win, yeah. And it's at Wagga Wagga too. So it's not tech because the Giants have done really well at home. They've, they've won their home games. They haven't t- travelled too well. 
uh, at all. And obviously the Tigers, as you say, are waiting for their first win. Both teams without their captains. So KB, Katie Brennan got a tough knock. Um, Jordan Ivey's, uh, as a consequence, mis- missing a match for that one. Um, and Alicia Eva's out with an ankle. No, a foot. She's got a foot. She's got sure. a foot. <laughs> She's got a foot <laughs> that it's not working the way it should, apparently. But also two debutant, debutantes, which will be great to look out for. Um, Sarah Halverson's going to line up for the GWS and Kate Dempsey at the Tigers. A uh, lot of pressure down on the Tigers to get this one. Oh, sorry, another big injury is Yvonne Bonner, which will make a difference to GWS. I reckon Tigers might be a possibility, given it's not technically their... Uh, the Giants' home, and they're due. I think they're due, so go Tigers. It would be great for football if we could see it. And, Julia, we will see the Blues and the Saints in what is the Carlton Respects match later today. Yeah, look, that's tonight at Princess Park, 10 past <laughs> 7 local time. This is a must-win game for the Saints if there's any chance to, to, well, to stay in finals contention, really. I haven't done the maths. Um, but Carlton are coming off possibly their best ever performance, um, beating Adelaide last week in a masterful coaching uh, <laughs> plan by, by Daniel Harford. So they looked great. Carlton really looked great. But we've seen that the Saints have shown that they can take it up to anyone. You know, they really only lost last week to Fremantle, who so far haven't haven't um, lost a game just because of that, that 50-metre penalty at the, at the last second. So the challenge for the Saints will be for them to block Carlton's many avenues to goal because they are a high-scoring side and for them themselves to convert when they're inside 50. So on paper, you'd tip Carlton, but I think the Saints are really in with a shot. One person that we've really enjoyed seeing this week is the leadership of Ree Watt, who is the captain of St Kilda, who really stepped up to support Molly McDonald after that 50-metre <laughs> penalty decided the game. You caught up with her yesterday, Julia. Take a listen to what Ree Watt had to say. Look, we'd love to be 4-0, I think, as every team would be. Uh, Unfortunately, we probably haven't got the wins on the board that we would have liked. Having said that, I don't think we can feel defeated by the style of footy we're playing and we're still really proud of ourselves. Yeah, from the outset, it looks like as a team, you're very structured. People know what their roles are. It's really even across the team. What have you, what do you attribute that to so early in, um, I guess, your team's trajectory? Yeah, look, I think the beauty about being uh, one of the newer teams in the comp is that we have come in and and the way that uh, Peter and our recruitment team kind of brought everyone on board was that we were all quite even across the board. I wouldn't say, you know, at the Saints there's any standout stars or, you know, I mean, I think there are personally, there's all, there's always. But, um, you know, I think just in terms of the way we all gel and get along as, as a playing group, um, we're really respectful of each other. We know our roles um, and obviously Pete's structures have, have helped us just trust each other and know that, you know, whatever team we've got out there on the day, we're, we're going to play our roles and get the job done. So this Saturday night at Princess Park, you'll be playing Carlton. There's a bit of extra spice in this one as you've got five players who've come through Carlton. What are you going to take into this game? Yeah, look, I think it's, you know, you're always going to have in the back of your head, uh, you know, a little mental battle. But in saying that, I know that we all feel really supported by all of our teammates. And I think that's you know, the most important thing. And we know that if we play our role on the day and, you know, we can get the job done, um, we'll all come out winners. Now, last week was one of the more heartbreaking and controversial ends to the game when you had Molly McDonald unfortunately gave away a 50-metre penalty in a split-second moment where she took a mark, was ruled as over the boundary and she placed the the ball on the, the ground instead of giving it back to the opposition. And you also had the scoreboard at ground level not being accurate. So how has that gone this week? How have you got around Molly? And and what impact did the scoreboard play at that that point? Yeah, what a schmozzle that was, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, look, Molly, uh, who now goes by the nickname of 50 uh, around the club, I don't think it's ever too soon. But uh, as Pete mentioned on on Monday night, Molly has done us all uh, a massive favour. You know, she's... She's been the one that's had to cop the brunt of it. But, you know, I think we all now know, you know, how pivotal that those kind of moments can be. So we applaud Molly. Um, The way she's come around this week has just been absolutely fantastic. Credit to her. She's got a a great, great head on her shoulders. And uh, when we think about, you know, she's one of our leading goal scorers for the year. So um, there's absolutely no hard feelings there. We all love Molly and, and want to get around her. 
Um, with regards to the scoreboard, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a tough one. We were all kind of going into, you know, save the game mode, thinking two points are, are better than one. And then I remember our runner coming out going, win the game, win the game. And I think there might have only been, you know, 20 seconds left. And at that point, the scoreboard kind of changed and we went, uh-oh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're a point behind. So... Uh, yeah, absolute heartbreak. But, you know, it's just a game of footy. Uh, we didn't get the four points, but we learn a lot about ourselves and we know that when we play our brand of footy, we can take it to the best of them. Bree Watt. You, ha- you would be hard-pressed to find a better person, uh, let alone a better person in football than Ree Watt. I love seeing her lead and it was lovely of her to join us and have a chat to you yesterday, Julia. We're getting some SMSs. Hi. This person says, hi. This is from Donna. She says, hi, and I'm quoting her, my stupid husband thinks that using a smaller ball would help the women in many aspects of the game. What do you think of that? He's not so stupid because they do actually use a smaller ball. <laughs> How small are we going to go? Is it going to be a tennis ball? Um, <laughs> just a teeny tiny one on a key ring. <laughs> Might be too small. You'd lose them for sure. Uh, so the women uh, in the AFLW play with a size four. Is that correct, Julia? Yeah, they play with a size four. Men play with a size five. Um, again, in the olden days when I was playing, it was a four and a half. Um, it's to account for, you know, that women generally have smaller hands, so it's easier to mark. But I think the four gets picked up a bit too much in the wind. I'd like to see the four and a half back. But right now, community clubs have a bunch of fours, so let's leave it with that. <laughs> <laughs> and this from Bryony. Uh, this year the skills have increased immensely from a game plan point of view, not just chasing the ball. Game plan clearly coming through. Loving it. Go girls from Bryony. Happy, happy International Women's Day to you for tomorrow, Bryony. Uh, we've got some other games coming up. Pies, Bulldogs. Yes, so the Pies and Dogs are on uh, tomorrow in Morwell at 1.10pm. This is a four versus five uh, contest in Conference B, which that's a very strong conference of course. Um, and I think the Dogs will be disappointed with their season so far. Collingwood lost uh, some players last week. Huge losses. Brooke Lachlan back in. So uh, that'll be a, a, a good contest and I think the Pies will get up. I really want to see Nathan Burke get a win. Uh, mm. He hasn't had one for a while. I'd like to see that. The D's are playing the Eagles. There's a massive in, Nicole Hayes. It is a massive in. We have, uh, well... There's two. Sarah Perkins is the big one, deb- debuting for Melbourne, and that's great to see her in the list. And Lily Mithen, who the Demons have missed. That'll make a, mass- a big difference out at Casey. Um, West Coast have lost Chantella Pereira for work commitments, which is um, a shame and also a-, a theme in AFLW at the moment. Um, but, yeah, also look out for rugby convert Micah Carter, who's a former Australian Wallaroo. She's been named in the squad, so they're actually selecting the team today. But that'll be a big game, and w- West Coast are off a, a win last week, so they might be ready to take on the Ds. And Julia, finally the Dockers and the Lions. Yeah, so this is a fascinating game between two teams that really suffered heavily from expansion. But heading into round five, they sit atop both of their conferences. So this is a cross-conference game. There's a lot on the line if someone loses here. Um, So, look, Fremantle are undefeated and back on home turf, you'd think they'd be too strong. That's tomorrow afternoon, Fremantle Oval, 5-10 Melbourne time. I don't know if we're going to have time to do this. We had a special treat for you. Earlier in the program, we were talking about Brendan Gale. was talking about his Kathy Freeman, Kathy Freeman's call. If you get the opportunity, do we have time to play it? Thumbs up. There we go. That was Brendan Gale's uh, shout-out to his uh, a woman that he really admires on International Women's Day. If you get a chance to check that out, it's Tim Lane calling Kathy Freeman's win from the 2000 Olympics. It'll give you goosebumps, won't it, Casey? It does. He was telling Nicole and I about it yesterday and we all got a bit teary. Beautiful moment. Of course we did. We hope that this weekend you'll grab a friend, get a footy, go to a game. Thanks to Brooke Patterson, Rewatt, Sam Lane, Bright O'Donnell, Peggy O'Neill, Mel Jones, Brendan, uh, Brendan Gale, Bet Goddard and Nick our producer. There's only one thing left to say before we see you next week and it is Fill the G! <laughs>